Good morning. It's good to worship with you this morning, and we're going to finish up our series on Colossians this morning. We're looking at the last section, the last passage in Colossians 4, verses 7 18. As we finish up this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, uh, as he was helping them navigate these um, influences, these teachers who were telling them that, yes, Jesus is great, and we need to believe in him, but we also need to do these other things. We need to know these other things. Um, we need to kind of live life according to this, this additional philosophy. Um, we need to add a bunch of other rules of what we shouldn't be doing to knowing Jesus. And, uh, and we need to do that in order to experience the fullness of God. And, and Paul clearly says, what you need to experience the fullness of God is Jesus. Jesus is ultimate. Jesus is sufficient. You need to set your mind on him. You need to set your heart on him. That is how you experience the fullness of God. And that's how you have experienced a life that is changed and, and a life that is growing and more healthy. And, and that's what we were unpacking in the last couple chapters. Um, but here we get to the end. And, and basically all that, that Paul does in this, this last couple paragraphs is just kind of give a bunch of shout outs to people. Um, as he greets different people, he, he refers to a bunch of different people that, that are bringing the letter to the Colossian church, a bunch of people that are serving in the Colossian church. He's referring to other uh, towns and other, other uh, churches in these other towns. And so it can be easy for us to kind of look at this passage and, and just kind of rush right by it, not really think about it having anything to, to say to us, really. But I, I, I believe that it, like every other passage of Scripture, has something important to say to us. So listen to God's word as I read from Colossians 4, verses 7 to 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give, give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us, uh, that you would open our eyes to see what, uh, what you want us to see and to know and to take in, and Father, we pray that you would help us, as we look at this passage, to see the sufficiency of Jesus again. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 
no matter how many times that I have suggested it over, I don't know how many years, no one has ever taken me up on naming their child Tychicus <laughs> or Aristarchus or Epaphras or Archippus or Nympha. I mean, I, I don't know what it is. No matter how many times I've, I've, I've suggested it, no one's taken me up on it. So many other biblical names are, are incredibly fashionable, right? There's, there's all sorts of people. Like right here, you know, you have Luke. Plenty of guys named Luke. Um, people, you know, all, all sorts of, you know, kind of unusual names even from, from the Old Testament and, and other places that, that people use and, and people love and, and people name their kids and their grandkids and everything. But, but the names here at the end of Colossians, they, they don't get a whole lot of love, you know, when people are naming their kids. Um, most of the time, people like look at the names here, and they're more like obstacles than anything else as you're reading the Bible. You're like, I don't know how to pronounce that. And when you're in a Bible study, you know, you're hoping nobody calls on you to read because you're going to have no clue how to pronounce some of these names. So why does Paul spend a substantial amount of space at the end of this letter mentioning all of these people's names? Well, the main thing that I want to point out is that these names aren't just hard-to-pronounce words, obstacles as you read the book of Colossians. They're actually real names that belong to real people. These are real people with real names just like you and me. So at the very basic level, it's a reminder that this letter is written to real people just like us. I think passages like this in the Bible, at least for me, help me, um, it, it kind of corroborates the fact that, that the Bible is true, that the, that the story is true, that the message of the Bible is true. It's not just some made-up story. I mean, if somebody was making up a religion and they were kind of writing a bunch of documents to kind of back up the beliefs of that religion, there's no reason to include this section here. No reason. You could have just skipped verse 7 to 17, and then just finished the letter off with, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. But Paul includes all of this personal stuff, these greetings to these people, because these were real people. And, and Paul was actually writing to real people about a real person, Jesus Christ. And so this helps me to understand. It, kind of, it, it gives me confidence that, that everything else that he writes about in Colossians is real and reliable. But in light of the fact that he's talking about real people with real names, I want to highlight three things that I think we can learn from this passage, okay? Um, the, the first thing is that real ministry is accomplished through real people with real names. Real ministry. The, the work of God is accomplished through real people with real names. You might, even, you might maybe it'd be better to say real ministry is accomplished through regular people with regular names. I mean, a lot of the times, uh, well, a lot of the names of the people here are doing God's work, right? First, you have Tychicus, who's a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. That's how Paul describes him, right? Aristarchus is, is a fellow prisoner, along with Mark, and, and, and Jesus called Justice. He, Paul refers to them as his fellow workers for the kingdom of God. You have Epaphras, who's struggling on behalf of the Colossian church, so that they would be mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He has worked hard for you, 
and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He's, he's, a, he's a servant. He's working. He's, he's doing the work of God, the ministry of God. You have Nympha who, who is, is, has a, a church that's meeting in her home. She is doing ministry, the work of God. You have Archippus who has a special message to give to the, for the people to give to Archippus. See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. He's, he's supposed to be doing ministry, right? These are all people who are actively doing the work of God, that God is working through. And I think it's important for us to realize this, to, to think about this, because when we think of all of the major things that happen in the New Testament and the growth of the church and the miracles that are happening, of people coming to know Jesus, most of us think of that, that it's probably, it's, it's mainly just happening through the, the big notable people, you know, the superstars in the New Testament. You got Paul, you got Peter, you know, even Barnabas, these guys who are out there, who everybody knows about. But the reality is that, that the majority of the work of God as the church was growing is being done by a bunch of people with names that we don't even think about most of the time, with names that we ignore, with regular names. And um, so it, I think one of the things we need to, to recognize is that the work of God isn't the job of people who are big and notable and popular. It's not the job of people who are professional, you know, pastors. The work of ministry, the work of God, is primarily the job of regular people with regular names, like you. It's your responsibility to work for the kingdom of God. It's your responsibility to work towards the maturity of the people around you if you are a Christian. It's your, it's your responsibility to, to see how, how can I be serving Jesus and, and how can I be, be looking for him to use me to, to produce miracles in the lives of people around me. That's your job. It's the job of regular people with regular names. There's a well-known Christian leader named Francis Schaeffer who wrote a short essay, a short article called No Little People, No Little Places. And in it, he explained that as we think about God's work in the world, there are no big people and there are no little people. God uses everyone. He doesn't use some people more than others because they're more talented, because they're more high profile or anything. He, he's, he's, he's able to use anybody at any time and is committed to doing that. And, and in that article, Francis Schaeffer uses the example of Moses' staff, and so Moses was a shepherd for many, many years, and he had a staff. And where do you get the staff? You know, he, he, it's, it's a piece of wood. What is a staff? It's just a piece of wood, a big stick. And yet, when God appeared to Moses and called him to go to Egypt to lead his people out, what happened? That, that didn't become Moses' staff anymore. That became the staff of God. Because God did all sorts of amazing things through that staff. He, he used that staff to, to transform it into a snake to display his power to Pharaoh. He used that staff. He told Moses to take the staff and touch the Nile, and the Nile became blood. He used that staff. He told, he told Moses to hit the rock in the wilderness with that staff, and water poured forth to provide for the Israelites, right? All of these amazing miracles of God were happening through this simple stick. Why? Because it was God's, because God wanted to use it. And if God can use a stick, Francis says, then he can absolutely use any of you to do incredible miracles, to work in the lives of others, 
to, to, to serve the kingdom of God, to, to help others know him. That is your job, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the news of Jesus Christ. That is your job. Are you thinking, really considering, how does God want me? You know, it's, it's, being a Christian is more than just being nice to people, <laughs> being better at loving people. Sure, it's being better at loving people, but, but it's about intentionally seeking to, to, to establish and, and grow the kingdom of God in our world and in our community by proclaiming the gospel, by standing up for those who are weak and defenseless, by helping those who are needy in Jesus' name. How are you doing this? It's your job, because it's the job of regular people with regular names. So secondly, this passage teaches us that real comfort, real encouragement is given through real people with real names. Paul could have just written this letter and sent it along and dropped it off, had somebody drop it off with the church in Colossae, right? But he didn't. He chose a couple men to carry this letter and to hand deliver it and to be with the church in Colossae. He chose Tychicus and Onesimus to go and be present with the church in Colossae. Why? Verse 8, it says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul didn't just send a letter to encourage the people. He sent people with the letter because there's no substitute for the presence of a person when it comes to encouragement, when it comes to comfort. Paul even acknowledges this when he talks about Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus, who is called Justice, right? These, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Their presence has been a comfort to me. The fact that Aristarchus has been a fellow prisoner with me has been a comfort. There is no substitute for the presence of a person when it comes to encouragement and comfort. Have you ever seen a talk show when, um, you know, the host surprises a family, says, come on down, I have a surprise for you. And they come down and it turns out this family has a family member, maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a mom, who has been overseas in the military for months and months and months, and they haven't been able to see that person. And they're like, well, I've got a surprise for you. We, we have them here up on the screen, and they bring them up on the screen. And the kids see their mom up there, and they're like, oh, so excited, and they get to talk to them. They're like, how are you doing? You're doing okay? You're hanging in there? Oh, I miss you so much. And then eventually the host decides, well, actually, I'm not quite telling you the truth. They're not on the screen on the other side of the world. They're behind the screen in the studio. And then the wall pulls back, and, and their mom is actually there. And how does everybody respond? They all run to her, embrace her. There are tears because there is no substitute for the presence of a person when it comes to encouragement and comfort. We need to be, be really careful about underestimating the importance of being present with people. Being present with people, whether it's, it's a close friend group or your parents or your children or your neighbor. You know, a person that you happen to run into and, and just see, there's no, um, we, we, we need to be careful about underestimating the importance of being present with them. Don't ignore the importance of, of looking for those who, who may be struggling and needing encouragement Yes, we need to be praying for them, but they also need your presence. 
to reach out to them, to connect with them, to let them know that they're not alone. Don't underestimate the small efforts even to remind people of your presence with them. Back in those days, you know, you, all you could do to communicate is send a letter. But now, yeah, I know it's still not the same thing as being present in the same room with somebody, but now we can even like FaceTime with people. We can text people to let them know we are part of their lives. There's so much more opportunity to connect with people in different ways, to let them know we are present. Don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate the importance of being present with people, of, of helping people to know the people around you, and especially keeping an eye out for those who are, who are maybe hurting, who are maybe feeling alone. Don't underestimate the importance of, of taking the, the steps, the initiative, the energy to reach out to them, even if it's for a short time. And, and, and when you are actually able to be with them, don't underestimate the importance of actually really working to be present. Because we can be in the same room with somebody and not really be present, right? It's so important to, to actually help this person know, to actually look at them and listen to them. Real comfort is given through real people with real names like Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus and you. That's where real comfort comes from, real encouragement. Lastly, God's real family is made up of real people with real names. God's real family is made up of real people with real names. And here I want to kind of focus on two things that have to do with that. Number one, if you're a Christian, then, then you need to recognize that God's family is made up of all sorts of different people, of, of real people who are different than you, who you might not necessarily be eager to hang out with, that you might not necessarily agree with, but they're part of your family if you're part of God's family. Um, let me just point out, we have all these names here of these different people. Um, in verses 10 and 11, Paul refers to Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus called Justice. And then he, he says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Um, if you're familiar with Paul and his other writings and everything, there was, there was this, this group called the Circumcision Group. These Jewish Christians who insisted on believing in Jesus, but also saying in order to be, really be part of the family of God, you had, to, you had to take upon yourself the Jewish ceremonial practices and rituals like circumcision. And you weren't really part of the God, God's family unless you were doing those things as well. And so Paul had some real run-ins with those people, real conflicts with those people. You know, in, in the book of Galatians, he, he was pretty harsh with those people. And yet here we have some of those people who Paul has experienced comfort from, who Paul has, has who, who have come to the point where they, they maybe have, have seen have, have experienced Paul's rebuke and correction and recognize that it's only through Christ that they have membership and standing in God's family. And, and, and as a result, Paul is, has real fellowship with these guys. These are brothers to him, fellow workers, fellow servants. They're a comfort to him. You know, you have Onesimus is mentioned here. Onesimus is a runaway slave who belongs to one of the members of the church in Colossae. So you can imagine that this master, as, as his slave comes back with this letter from Paul, along with another letter directly to Philemon, that's his master, you know, that might have been a little hard for Philemon to kind of wrestle with, to work through. 
how do I deal with this guy now who's part of my family? He's not my slave, he's my brother. How do I work through this? Um, I think the fact that, that Paul mentions all these names helps us to see that the church is way bigger than just me. I am not at the center. It's not all about me. You know, as he continues talking about the, the churches in other towns like Laodicea and Hierapolis, it's not all about you, Colossae. You have brothers and sisters in these other towns. He even encourages them to read each other's mail, right? Verse 16, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Well, that's kind of personal. You want, you want me to let them read my mail from you? Maybe I don't want them to find out what you're saying to me. No, it's not about you. It's about us. It's about us. We're a family because we're all connected through Jesus alone. It's not all about us. God's real family is made up of real people with real names who are different than us. It's not all about me. One, one last thing I want to highlight, though, connected with the whole idea of, of the fact that God's family is made up of real people with real names is, is that it's just as all these people's names are known to Paul, they're known to God. How much more are they known to God himself? One of the words that's repeated a few times in this passage is the word beloved, right? Tychicus is a beloved brother. Onesimus, a beloved brother. Luke, a beloved physician, right? All, all of these beloveds. Is it, why, why does Paul refer to these guys as beloved? Well, yes, they mean something to him. These guys are, are loved by Paul. They have a special place in Paul's heart. But if you will remember... As we've been reading through Colossians, there's, there's a passage earlier in Colossians where, where Paul addresses the Colossian church as what? Those who are chosen and beloved by God. Just as Paul knows all of these people's names and they're beloved to him, all of these names are known and beloved to God himself. He knows them. He knows their name. He knows all about them and he loves them as his children. All of these names remind us that, that, that we are, our names are known to God. If you have received the work of Jesus, then your name is known to God. It is special to him. You are important to him. There's not much better than knowing that somebody knows your name. <laughs> right? Um, and as I mentioned at the very beginning, in a sense... This is Paul giving a bunch of shout-outs. You know how shout-outs happen when somebody's like on the radio or on the stage or something. It's, sometimes they'll give a shout-out. They'll mention somebody's name for some different reason. Whenever they give a shout-out, it also often you know, makes that person feel good. You know, I am known. I am noticed. I'm important. In a sense, God including this through Paul as, as part of, the, uh, as part of the, his, his word giving a shout out to each and every one of these people. They are seen. They are important. They are noticed by him. And that is no less true for you if you know that Jesus has died for you. If you know that Jesus on this Palm Sunday came into Jerusalem with the express purpose of laying down his life for you, then your name is known to God. That is something that will change you. There's a great epic fantasy story written by Andrew Peterson, and it's called The Wingfeather Saga. 
I would highly recommend it to anybody who's up for reading it, but it seems, seems like everybody I tell to read it, nobody ever listens to me. So I'm just going to tell you, you know, I, I don't care about spoilers here. Um, in it, the evil villain is, his, he's, he's called Gnag the Nameless. Let that sit for a second. His name is Gnag the Nameless. That's the evil villain. And uh, he's this terrifying bad guy who just wants the world to suffer. He wants to be king and he wants to kill everyone and destroy everyone's life. And you learn as you read the books that the reason that he's called Gnag the Nameless is because basically when he was born, he was born to a king and a queen. And he was born a set of, uh, one of a set of twins. He was the older of a set of twins. His younger brother was born healthy and strong, but he was born weak and crippled and sickly. And the midwife, when she saw the children after they were born, she was like, oh, it's not going to be good for this, you know, weak, sick child to grow up in the house of the king. So she stole him away and told the mother that he had died. And, and she gave him to this other person who was kind of an enemy of the king, and he raised Gnag the Nameless, telling him that he wasn't loved, telling him that he was never named and that is why he's called Gnag the Nameless. And that's why he, he, he just lived with pain and wanted the world to suffer. Well, at, at this one major point in the story, he, he, there's this huge battle. And he transforms into this monstrous uh, dragon where he's just like destroying everyone and everything. And they're, they're fighting against him and wounding him. But he's just, he's just killing so many people. Destroying so many people. And, and at the height of the final battle, after he's killed so many, he stands before this little boy named Janner. And he says, behold the dead. Look at the beauty of my works. And Janner, who has found a little bit more out about Gnag the Nameless, says one word to him. He says, Davion. And Gnag says, What? Davion, that's your name. I have no name. That's not my name. Yes, it is. Davion Wingfeather is your name. Beloved of Media Wingfeather, your mom. That's meaningless. That doesn't mean anything. Janner says, it means everything. Yes, Media is dead and gone, but, but it means that that you were born, and you were loved, and that love was real, and she named you because you were important to her. You were special to her as she held you in her arms. And Gnag just continues to deny it. He's like, no, I have no name. And Janet just persists. Yes, that's your name. That's your name. And finally, Gnag, Davion, as he's like lays down on the ground with all of his wounds, he rolls over and he accepts it. And this peace washes over him. And even there's a change in his appearance and his eyes, I think, were this dark color. They turn to bright blue. And, it is, and he's transformed. He's transformed. Knowing that someone knows your name, knows you, and loves you as you are. With all of your baggage, there's nothing greater. There's nothing that's more transformative. This list of people, they're not perfect, 
they're not perfect. They have baggage. You know, you got Onesimus, who was a runaway slave. You, you got Mark. He mentions Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. This is, this is the guy who Paul went uh, on a missionary journey with Mark and Barnabas a long time ago in the, in the book of Acts. And, and at one point, Mark kind of gives up and he abandons them. And, and Paul is so angry about that, that there's another opportunity later on for Mark to go with Paul. And he's like, I'm not going with this guy anymore. I'm done with him. And because of that, Barnabas and Paul split up because Barnabas takes Mark. But something has happened now since then that has healed their relationship, that has repaired their relationship. And now he's a comfort to Paul. But Mark has baggage, stuff that he has to live with, shame that he has to live with. But he knows that his name is known by God as well. He is loved by God because of the beloved one, Jesus Christ. He's been brought into the kingdom of the beloved one. We don't know the baggage of Tychicus or Nympha or these, the, the others, but, but be assured, they have baggage, and just like we do. And yet, if we know Jesus, if we have held on to Jesus, if we're holding on to Jesus, then we can know that God knows your name with all of your baggage. And you be, can be confident that he considers you beloved. You are loved. Knowing that will propel us to do ministry. It has to. To seek to do miracles. To see God do miracles through us for the kingdom of Jesus. To comfort others. To bless others. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to as we sit here, to, no matter what name we go by, Father, we pray that you would help us to consider that that name is special because it is known to you. That name is special because it belongs to someone that Jesus has died for. Father, we pray that you would help us to know that in, in all of our, even in all of our limitations, that you will do amazing things through us. Help us to, to look for the opportunities of what you want to do. Help us to seek to be a blessing, to move towards others, to give them our presence. Help us to embrace others, no matter how different they are, as part of our family. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to God's word, let's uh, confess our sin together with the prayer that's printed in your order of worship. It's also going to be up on the screen. Let's pray together. O Lord Jesus Christ, who on this day entered the rebellious city, which later rejected you, we confess that our wills are as rebellious as those of the people of Jerusalem, that our faith is often more show than substance, that our hearts are in need of cleansing. Have mercy on us, Son of David, Savior of our lives. Help us to lay at your feet all that we have and all that we are, trusting you to forgive what is sinful, to heal what is broken, to welcome our praises, and to receive us as your own. Amen. Father, we now take a moment in the silence to privately confess our sin to you.